The grace and peace of Christ be with you. Well, good morning, and welcome to Laguna Presbyterian Church as we gather this morning to worship our good and loving God. We also gather here this morning for fellowship, so turn to your neighbor and welcome them here this morning. Let's give this time now to the Lord. Almighty God, we have gathered to worship you this morning. We have come to listen to you, to seek you, to praise you. You are the beginning of all things, the life of all things, and you we live. Loving God, you are here and everywhere, around us, within us, by your Spirit. You know our inmost thoughts, in you we hope, in you we live. Bless now this time of worship. Awaken us to your presence. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. The psalmist call us to prayer. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall lodge your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. The might of your awesome deeds shall be proclaimed, and I will declare your greatness. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your faithful shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to all people your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations.
is faithful in all his words and gracious in all his deeds. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, satisfying the desire of every living thing. The Lord is just in all his ways and kind in all his doings. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of all who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. Join me in prayer. Loving God, we gather today rich in blessing, somehow believing that we merit the wealth and comforts we enjoy. Forgive us, our God, for comfortably closing our eyes to the faces of the poor that stare blankly in our direction. Lord, have mercy. With more than enough to eat, we offer only small gestures to the hungry in our world and feel that we have done enough. Forgive us, God, for keeping a distance between us and them, for closing our eyes to the cries of the hungry. Christ, have mercy. With hands tightly clasping our treasures on earth, we cannot reach out to our oppressed brothers and sisters around the world. Forgive us for clinging to our own possessions rather than to you. Unite us with hearts of thanksgiving that we may seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. Lord, have mercy. We offer our personal and silent confession. Amen. Here are words you may trust, words that merit full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. To all who confess their sins and resolve to lead a new life, he says, your sins are forgiven. He also says, follow me. Now to the one who rules all worlds, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. It's my privilege to introduce to you now Mr. Ed Sauls, elder from our session, is going to share some thoughts about stewardship with us. Ed? Thank you, Jerry, and good morning, everybody. <clears throat> Asked to share with you a message about stewardship. Had the honor of coming before you earlier this year 
Uh, we had a great presentation about all the activities of this church in the mission of Christ and all the wonderful things that, that you do in fellowship and the giving of your time and your talents and your blessings. In presenting that, we presented a responsible budget that carried forward what we were going to do this year and described that budget as somewhat within our comfort zone. And that in the responsible uh, leadership of the church, as you've placed some of us to be, we put forward a prudent budget that was within that comfort zone and you adopted it, and it was good, and we carry forward. But we also asked, in reminder that God asks us to stretch, to go beyond our comfort zones, that you too might stretch and provide additional funding so that the church could see their ministers recognized. Uh, they haven't had a, a pay increase for several years, so that we could consider that some of the other obligations of the church in carrying forward our mission. That too was good and well received and many of you have contributed and that's been grateful, thank you. In praying about what message I might give you today, there were about four words that, that kind of came to mind about what I might uh, share with you and those words were exceptional, reminder, awareness, and celebration. They were kind of like, in, in my prayer, they were kind of like tea leaves that floated to the surface. And these were the things that came to mind. As to exceptional, look at where we are. Look at this, this place, this church, this campus, the city that we live in. Those are the physical things. But think too, the exceptional friendships that we have and that we share and see and enjoy as members of this congregation. Those are wonderful, wonderful things. As to reminder, this is a moment to remind us that in sharing those things, we have a responsibility. Mom used to remind me to take out the trash. Lisa, still today, helps remind me that I need to help with the dishes. Uh, this is a reminder that we need to help with our contributions because everything we do in terms of budget and the things that are beyond the budget that I might explain in a moment are the source uh, the source of those are from your contributions. So then, awareness. And let me share with you that in the bulletin, uh, this little insert here, tells us on near the last page that our giving to date is $754,000. Our budget to date is $895,000 and change. And the, the variance, the shortfall, is about $140,000. Now, I will also share with you that's within our comfort zone. 
That's what we're used to doing this church. And at the end of the day, we seem to come through with the contributions necessary to make the budget. And I thank you for that. That is a wonderful thing. But it is a reminder that we need to make those contributions. But as to awareness, it's also true that beyond the budget, there are additional things that, that are of concern and interest to this congregation and its leadership. Number one is we have debt. Uh, there's still a debt of about a million seven on the church. We have accomplished the exceptional in terms of about a $13 million remodel of this church. 1.7 million of it remains. We've done a fabulous job. We want to be thinking about retiring the debt completely so that we can move on and forward in, in future years without that obligation. And that's beyond the budget. It's an entirely different item. Also beyond the, the, the debt is, and beyond the budget, is the cleanup of the um, environmental issues related to the live wire cleaners. Most of you know that there was some contamination, <coughs> excuse me, from the dry cleaning materials uh, that needs cleaning up. We just put together a budget of about $415,000 uh, to be expended over the next two years. And we're hoping for a grant from the state that would help us uh, accomplish funding of that. These are the things I wanted you to be aware of as you consider your contributions for the remainder of the year. And then finally, celebration. Let us celebrate the love that we have for God, that he has for us, and that we share together. Let us celebrate the history of this small church that I think something, a small group, maybe 27 people, took the effort to start this church 100 years ago. And we're going into our 100-year celebration, anniversary. Let's celebrate that together. And let's do that knowing that we meet our budget, that we are looking to retire the debt, and that we're looking to retire the obligations for the environmental cleanup. So I ask that we pray that we might do this. Consider going beyond the norm, beyond your comfort zone. Maybe those who you contribute on a monthly basis might consider a 13th month. Others who contribute in different ways that you might provide a little bit extra. With that, I know that the great history of this church, the things that we get to celebrate today, and the things that we will celebrate in the future will be exceptional. I thank you.
I want to encourage you to open up your Bibles to the book of Daniel, chapter 2, as we continue our study of Daniel, chapter 2, verse 17 through 23. You will find on page 821 in the Old Testament portion of your pew Bible. Hear now God's word. Then Daniel went to his home and informed his companions, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions with the rest of the wise men of Babylon might not perish. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night, And Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel said, Blessed be the name of God from age to age, for wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons, deposes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and light dwells with him. To you, O God of my ancestors, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and power, and have now revealed to me what we asked of you. For you have revealed to us what the king ordered. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray together. Father, we pray that your word this morning by your Holy Spirit would enable us this week to walk by faith, to live by hope, that in every step that we take, we would trust in you alone. So Lord Jesus, we ask for your strength this morning to trust you. We ask this in Christ's name, amen. The letter arrives in the mail. At first glance, you notice it's from the government. So what do you do? You suddenly turn away, slowly but surely looking back. You're trying to tell yourself, and you are hoping it's a tax refund, but you're just in denial. You open it, It's confirmed because it said directly on the front of the envelope, summons. And as you opened up the envelope, there it was, a court summons. You have jury duty. You know the first thing you do, you holler out throughout the home, I have jury duty. You're looking for sympathy from family members. And then your second thought, you know it, admit it. You think to yourself, how can I get out of this? I've got this coming up, and this, and this, and yet resistance is futile. Assimilate, you must. And reluctantly, you walk over and you put it in bold writing on your calendar. Jury duty. The last week of my vacation, I had to call in on Labor Day to check if I needed to show up the next day to federal district court in Santa Ana. I already postponed it once in July, so there was no getting out of it this time. 
All the while, Monday night as I was dialing, I was praying, please, Lord, please, not this time. I still have a week of vacation. Please have mercy. And the recorded voice picked up and informed me that I had to be there at 7.45 a.m. on Tuesday morning. The next morning, while I was sitting there in the jury reception hall, my prayer was, please, Lord, please, may they not call my name to head upstairs. I'll just sit here. I'll read the Bible all day. I will. Please. At 8.30 a.m., my name was the second one called to head upstairs. Once upstairs, walking through those big doors of federal district court, I turned and I was sitting down in that, I guess you would call it the bystander seating area, and as I was sitting down, I said, Lord, may they not call my name to head over to the box. I'll just sit here and watch for a while. I'm willing to go back to the reception hall and just read, please, Lord. My name was the fourth one called. I was juror number four, chair. Now, when it was my turn, To answer the three questions the judge put to us, they went to chair one, chair two, chair three. Now it's my turn. Before I could say a word, the judge said, you know, I just want everybody to know that Steve and I are good friends. Other than Steve being a USC fan, he's a good pastor and an honest man. Neither lawyer flinched. Shoot! After I answered the third question, there was a follow-up question from one of the defense lawyers, and he asked me to explain a passage, no joke, a passage from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 7. And while I'm answering the question, I thought, and I was praying, Lord, now may they send me home, just as they have done so many times before. But when I finished my answer, both the government prosecutor and the defense lawyer thought I would be a great juror over that two-week journey. It happened so fast. After the 12th juror was selected, boom, arguments, opening arguments had already started. And I thought to myself, what just happened? Well, that just happened. Now, God clearly had other plans than those pleas that I kept lifting up. Now, I'm going to admit to you, it was fascinating. It was like taking a semester-long law and bank finance class in just two weeks. It was a two-week intensive. There were FBI agents flown in from Washington, D.C. There was SEC agents flown in from New York. There was a security commission guy flown in from Alabama. There were witnesses and plea bargains. No joke, there was even a priest that took the stand. Every day it was like a made-for-TV movie. Now with each day, the intensity and the need to pay close attention increased. And each night as this trial was going on, I found it affecting my sleep. I was coming to grips that a man's future was at stake. The night before the deliberation, I I tossed and turned most of the night. Have you done that? Just tossing and turning and tossing and turning. You look at your, oh my goodness, so much time has gone by. And every time that I looked over at the clock, I just continued to pray. And I prayed, Lord, I need wisdom. 
and I need power. This is a big deal. And then the morning of, when I woke up, I, I can't say a word about the case to my family, but I went up to Jennifer and I said, Jen, I need you to pray for me today for wisdom. And before Aaron went out the door to school, I said, Aaron, pray for me for wisdom. And I texted my friend John McKagan. I said, John, pray for me for wisdom today. I need discernment. Now, I'm sure you've experienced a similar situation and one that may have kept you up during the night tossing and turning. A time when something serious was on the line and you were aware, and the reason that you were tossing and turning is because you were aware that it was something that was beyond you. Your life or someone else's probably wasn't on the line, but the weight of the situation was too heavy to bear. It's almost like you could feel it upon your shoulders. It could have been concerning your health or your finances or your job or reputation, something concerning your future. Maybe it was concerning a close relationship or a friendship in the balance or a family decision that needed to be made. Whatever the case it had pushed you to the limit and you were tossing and turning in your mind and your guts were tossing and turning and you were tossing and turning in bed. You knew there were only two actions that you could take. Take it to a small group of people who you trust for guidance and prayer, but more importantly, to take it to God with the confidence that he will answer and act upon it for your ultimate good and also for his ultimate glory. Now we are catching on as we're reading through the book of Daniel that Daniel knew this pattern well, didn't he? One night, as we learned about last week, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had a dream. And clearly it was a distressing dream, one which awakened him in fear. And I would guess the rest of the night was tossing and turning. And this fear that came into Nebuchadnezzar's life and into his situation, as fear has done in our own lives at times, was causing anxiety to build up in him. And when anxiety builds up in a person, it can lead to stress. And when stress starts building up, it can lead to anger. And when anger is there, it can lead to rash, to hash decision-making. And all the while, and we can relate to this, with this fear setting in, the king's ability to see clearly, the king's ability to have good perspective, to make a wise decision with each and every hour, allowing this fear to take root, the vision and everything about it was narrowing in, and he was unable because the adrenaline was so strong, he was unable to make a wise decision. Fear was taking over. What does Nebuchadnezzar do? He calls into his presence the enchanters, the sorcerers, the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, and I would guess some of those who were exiled from Israel, those wise men. And he puts before those wise men an impossible command. He says, I want you to tell me the interpretation to the dream, but I also want you to tell me the dream. No one before him had the ability to do that. Wouldn't the king have known? And thus, 
out of his anger and rage, he called for every wise man to be executed, along with their homes to be brought to ruin. This man meant business. When the executioner showed up at Daniel's door, Daniel used his influence to buy and to win some time. That he might what? That he might approach and inquire of his God. Well, that's interesting. The Babylonian gods, as mentioned, did not live amongst their people. The God of Daniel, this foreign God, was present with his people. Even while God's people were in exile in Babylon, even while there was a siege surrounding their homeland back home, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was and ever will be present amongst his people. In contrast to the gods of Babylon, Babylon and the gods of our own day. Now notice the contrast here with Daniel to Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel, even with his life on the line, was living in and through God's presence. He reflected a sense of calm and confidence. He was keeping good perspective. What does Daniel do? He takes that request to that close group of friends that he trusted, asking for guidance, asking for prayer. And we can be sure that Daniel, along with his friends, lifted this request up repeatedly, this plea, over and over again. I've heard it once said, well, you know, you can bring your request to God one time. That's all you have to do. He doesn't want to be bothered with it again. I don't know where they get that. When I read the Psalms, I see requests being brought before God over and over again, just as a father loves to hear from their child, just as a mother loves to hear from her child. Don't we want, don't we desire and are so thankful to have a God that loves to hear our requests over and over again? How does Daniel phrase the request? To seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that he, his companions, and the rest of the wise men would not perish. I noticed something this week. Daniel was not only concerned for his own life. And by the way, it's okay to be concerned for your own life. Because God wants you to be a steward of your own life. But Daniel is also concerned with the lives of his friends and his countrymen. But did you also notice he was concerned with the lives of the Babylonians? These are the people whom we would normally see as enemies. He was praying for his enemies. And so into the night we go. And it's strange how the night moves. The request was answered and the vision was provided to Daniel. What was Daniel's response? Before the situation plays out, before he goes back to Nebuchadnezzar, he is thanking and giving praise to God. What's revealed here is why Daniel has the confidence to go before his God with this plea, with his prayer. He believed he had a God who he could approach at any time with any prayer request over and over again, and this God would listen to him. 
He praises the one who he believes is all-present. While the so-called gods of Babylon are distant, separated from their people, our God is just a plea and prayer way. He praises the one who is all-powerful. While the so-called gods of Babylon are limited in power, hampered by the impossible, we are told that our God has the power to change the seasons. He has the power to cause kingdoms to rise and kingdoms to fall. Our God holds history in his hands. And he praises the one who is all-wise and all-knowing. While the gods of Babylon can't even offer one word of wisdom, our God is all-powerful, all-wise, and he provides all that is wise, all that is true. He believed God had the power to provide the revelation and the wisdom to reveal the mystery. Daniel's convinced. We're told that Yahweh casts a light into the darkness. He provides the dream and interpretation to Daniel. No plea. Daniel believed that no plea was beyond bringing to God. I've thought about that a lot this week. Daniel's living from plea to praise. As we are maturing in our relationship with God, as we're growing in understanding of who our God is, that's the kind of pattern we are slowly but surely taking on as we live into His presence because we are learning that everything that we have, everything that we will become, everything about our future belongs to God. And we desire for this like pattern to play out within us that we are pleading and we are praising all day long as we believe that God is walking alongside of us. And like Daniel, we're becoming more convinced we can come before this God. Daniel was convinced that God was all good, all powerful, all wise. And we're becoming convinced of these things through Scripture, through theology. And so we're understanding and convinced that we can come before God with all of those pleas each and every day. I'm going to confess to you a couple of days ago, I again was, I was just tossing and turning in my sleep. And it was going on for a while, and I thought to myself, why in the world, before I went to bed, can you relate to this? Before I went to bed, I started thinking about all kinds of stuff. All of my responsibilities, obligations of family and church and finances and on and on it went. And so when I tried to fall asleep, it was tossing and turning all night. And then finally, when I got to about 2 a.m., I said, enough of this. I got to start practicing what I'm preaching. And so I lifted up a plea. And as I was lifting up the plea, a passage came to my mind that I'd memorized a long time ago from Lamentations chapter 2, and the passage started, started almost singing within me, This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The covenant love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies, they never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. And I said it over and over, and I thought, wait a minute. God is good, and he's merciful, and he's loving. And every single morning, he will be faithful to bring all of those qualities to my life. So what am I worrying about tomorrow for? Because he'll bring those things tomorrow 
this good and loving God. And then I started praising God. I probably woke Jennifer up. I was praising God. It took me another couple hours to fall asleep, but I was praising God. It was good. Now you may wonder, what are these pieces of paper sitting next to you in the pew? Well, this is what I'd like to encourage you to do this morning, to take one of those pieces of paper and to write down something on that piece of paper you are thankful for to God, that you want to praise Him for. Maybe it's an answer to prayer that you've received or a prayer that you've been lifting up. It could be an attribute or a characteristic about God you want to lift up. Simply maybe His power, His wisdom, His his holiness, His love, and just to write that down. It could be a Daniel, someone who has helped you along in your relationship with God. You just want to write down their name. And I encourage you to walk it over to Tankersley Hall and to tape it up there on that what we're going to call a wall of thanksgiving. Thanks to Beth for putting that together for me during the week. We're going to tape it to that wall so that other people, each of us can walk by and see what other people's praises are, and it will cause us to praise to praise the Lord as well. So during the offering, I encourage you to do that. Don't put your name on it. It's okay. But it'll be a wall of praise and thanks for us as we move into this fall. Amen. I'd like to invite the ushers to come forward as we give of our tithes and offerings.
Let us pray. God of wisdom and power, we turn to you with thanksgiving and praise. Through wisdom, you created all that there is. You spoke your mighty word and called forth the creation out of nothing. You commanded the light, and the light penetrated the darkness. You breathed life into the first man and woman and declared them very good. God of wisdom and power, you revealed your covenant promises to Abraham, Noah, Moses, and David. You promised a new covenant that would bless the nations, change the human heart, and set human history on its course toward the fullness of your kingdom. In Jesus Christ, your wisdom and power became incarnate, lived among us, and revealed your glory at the cross of our salvation. Lord God, we, your people, are the recipients of far more than we can name. In humility, we bow before you in praise and thanksgiving. Lord, this is your world. Sometimes we feel like an exilic people living in displaced times and seasons. We lift up to you, your church. We are a church that has been gathered by your grace, called out of the world to serve you, to allow the light of your love to shine through us. Shine, Jesus, shine. For displaced people, refugees, poverty-stricken, victims of human cruelty, violence, and warfare, we pray. Bring healing, hope, comfort, and peace in your wisdom and power. Help us to live as those committed to justice and peace. We stand before your cross as those who have received your justice and love for this time and season of our national life. We ask for those who would be our leaders, 
that you would give to them a deep awareness of your presence, of the presence of your holy love for all people. Reveal to kings and presidents, along with legislative assemblies and judicial courts, that you hold them accountable for their stewardship of order and justice. May they come to see and to believe that you are the ruler of the kings of the earth, the Lord of time and space. Bring spiritual renewal to your church that is present on every continent of planet earth. We are your people. We gather at your cross to kneel before you and to confess that Jesus is Lord, we present these tokens of our love for you. Bless our giving. And teach us to pray as you taught your disciples, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, we hope we make, you make your way on over to the Tankersley Hall for our pancake breakfast this morning as we continue our fellowship together and to take your prayer of praise and thanks over there with you as well. And now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace that you may overflow with hope by the power of his Holy Spirit this week. God bless you. Amen.